Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at uh, Luke chapter 21 today. Uh, can I say a special welcome to those who are visitors for the baptisms today? Um, but we're not going to change what we do for you. We're just going to do the same thing we always do, which is just look through the Bible. And this year we've been looking together at Luke's Gospel. Today we come to a passage uh, which is um, it's a little bit of a difficult passage. Bible studies have struggled with it during the week. And it's also it's a, little, it's a pretty hard passage as well, as Jesus gives warnings about what's going to happen to the people who are about to kill him, his enemies. Uh, so can I encourage you, please have Luke chapter 21 open. We're going to read through it, think about what it meant to its original readers and what it means to us today. Let's ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, do please help us now to understand what your word says and help us to respond rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start off today with a little bit of a test. I'm going to show you 10 pictures uh, pictures, these are pictures of important buildings around the world. Ten pictures of important buildings. Uh, I want to see how many of them we can recognise together. Now, I have to admit, showing my ignorance, I could only get about half of these. Uh, but let, let, let's see how we do together. Okay, you ready? Building number one. Building number one. Any clues? Anybody can help me with this one? Harbour Bridge. Thank you. Thank you. There's one sensible person in the congregation who can see that that's the Opera House. Opera House. All right, I got that one. I got this second one as well. Can you see the second one? Leaning Tower of Pisa. People know that one. Yep, some people have been there as well. Okay, this is the third one. I got this one as well. Colosseum. Colosseum in Rome. Okay, I was starting to struggle with the next one. Taj Mahal, you're much smarter than me. Next one I didn't get, I have to admit. White House, White House, there you go, much smarter than me. Next one I got. Buckingham Palace, Buckingham Palace, some people have been there, I've been there. Yep, okay. Now this one, this congregation will get, but I had no idea. Next one, it's coming in. It's called the Petronas Tower. Yeah, lots of Malaysians here. I don't have a Singaporean one. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of competition between Singapore and Malaysia. I don't have a Singaporean one for you, but this is in Malaysia, Petronas Towers. Uh, next one, I had no idea. Ooh, it's in the Forbidden City. Does anyone know what it's called? The Hall of Supreme Harmony. Hmm, there you go. There you go. Uh, next one, I had no idea. Does anyone know? It's a mosque. Oh, no, no, it's next to a mosque. Actually, it's ne next to a mosque. Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Is it Istanbul? Yeah, there you go. Do some people get that? Okay, last one again. I had no idea. Burj Khalifa. Apparently it's the tallest building in the world at the moment. Such a smart congregation, so educated and well-travelled. Well done. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, the most important building in the Bible. Most important building in the Bible. And that is the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this is not a photograph of the temple. Uh, this is... Is it coming? Is it coming? Here it comes. Nope, that's not it. There it is. Okay. This is not a picture of the temple. 
Okay, this is a model of what the temple used to look like, what it used to look like. Uh, now, the temple had held a central place in the religion of Israel, in Old Testament religion. In fact, it's impossible to overestimate how significant the temple was. Uh, this was the place where the priests served, and it's where they taught people God's law. It's also where they offered animal sacrifices for the sins of Israel as a whole on days like the Day of Atonement, and also for the sins of individuals and communities. And God was perfectly clear about this. He said that he would accept those sacrifices, make atonement for his people, and forgive them. God was also clear about this. Without these sacrifices, there was no forgiveness for Israel. The temple was vital for Israel. Without the temple, there's no priesthood, there's no sacrifice. Without the temple, you cannot be forgiven by God. Without the temple, Israel cannot stay in the presence of God. The author to the Hebrews puts it well. He says, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, with sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Such an important building. Well, now here, now here in Luke chapter 21, Jesus has finally arrived at Jerusalem. Remember, we've been on this long journey since back in chapter 9, Jesus setting his face to Jerusalem. He said what's going to happen in Jerusalem, he's going to die. While they're in Jerusalem, though, Jesus' disciples, they see the temple. Still stood in those days, and they're impressed. And that temple was pretty amazing. Uh, 19 BC it was that King Herod the Great began a renovation of the Jerusalem temple. It took him nearly 80 years, so it wasn't finished when Jesus was in Jerusalem. But even then, it was 350 metres wide by 450 metres long. So it's three and a half football fields by four and a half football fields. It was big, really big. Um, it's made of white marble stones. Some of those marble stones were 20 metres long, as long as this building, four metres high, that's even taller than me, and five and a half metres deep. Okay, so we're talking about marble stones the size of this room. The temple was covered in gold and silver. Gold and silver plated gates, gold plated doors. A Jewish historian of the time, a man by the name of Josephus, he said that the building's gold plates flashed in the sun like a snow-clad mountain. A Roman historian of the time, a man called Tacitus, he described the temple as immensely opulent. So the disciples see this temple and they are impressed. This is amazing. But Jesus says this. He says the days of the temple are numbered. As we've seen over these last few months, Jerusalem is about to reject Jesus. They're about to kill Jesus. In doing so, Jesus has said, he's warned them, you are rejecting the Messiah, God's appointed king. You're making yourselves enemies of God's king. And in the passage immediately before this one, as Jesus is debating with his enemies, he reminds them of Psalm 110. He reminds them that the Messiah is going to be seated at the right hand of God and all his enemies will be crushed under his feet. You can see, just if you jump back a little bit with me to chapter 20 and verse 42. Chapter 20 and verse 42, Jesus quotes this to the people arguing with him, rejecting him. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your people. A footstool for your feet. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Jerusalem are rejecting Jesus. They're becoming enemies of Jesus. And so he says, their time is up. The temple will be destroyed. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That's, that's an unbelievable thing to say in the context of the Old Testament. It's shocking. It's like saying, it's like saying the White House that everybody but me recognised. It's about to be conquered and destroyed. Um, the, the disciples, they find this really hard to believe. And so they, they say, when is this going to happen? When's it, and, and how will we know? What, what sign will there be that this extraordinary thing is going to happen? Verse 7. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And, and, and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? So you see the context of this section? They've seen the temple. Jesus has said the temple's about to be destroyed. And they've asked the question, when? How will we know that the temple will be destroyed? And Jesus starts off by talking about some things that are not signs of the destruction of the temple. Things that don't signify that the temple is about to be torn down. Firstly, he says, people will claim to be the Messiah. They'll claim to be the king. He says, don't believe them. That's not a sign. He says, there are going to be wars. That's not a sign. He says, there are going to be earthquakes, famines, diseases. Those are not signs. Verse 8. He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Lots of stuff will happen. That's not a sign that the temple will be destroyed. Jesus goes on to describe what life will be like for his disciples. <clears throat> He says they'll be persecuted, they'll be hated, they'll be betrayed. Some of them will be put to death, but that is not a sign that the temple will be destroyed either. And Jesus says that as long as they're trusting him, their, eternal, their eternity is secure. And so he says you've got to stand firm, even when all these bad things happen, verse 12. But before all this, this is still not a sign, it's before. Before all this, they'll seize you and persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you'll bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how to defend yourselves. For I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed. Even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will ultimately perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Okay, those are the non signs. All right, these, the, the, those are the sign, not signs that the temple's about to be destroyed wars and famines and people being persecuted. But, but Jesus now goes on to talk about the, the two signs that the temple will be destroyed. First sign is this. Jesus says that armies will surround Jerusalem. 
that they'll put the city under siege. They'll destroy the surrounding areas in Judea. He says it's going to be terrible. God's terrifying judgment. And his advice, when it happens, and the Christians took this advice, he said, run away. Run away. Verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Okay, there's the sign. Jerusalem surrounded by armies. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There'll be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They'll fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Big sign number one, when the army surrounds Jerusalem. Now Jesus goes on to talk about another big sign, and this is the biggest sign that the temple will be destroyed. The sign is this. The coming of the Son of Man. Now, to understand what the coming of the Son of Man is, we need to go back to the Old Testament, to Daniel chapter 7. So I'm going to make you do a bit of work here with me today. Let me, let me read the passage. We'll bring it up now and I'll read it to you. And I'm going to give you a minute or so just to answer a couple of... They're actually very simple questions, but you'll have to kind of clear your prejudices to, to answer them. All right, so let me read the passage to you. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Okay, there's the son of man. What's he doing? Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, so here are the questions. Two questions. Where is the Son of Man coming to? And what happens when he comes? Where is the Son of Man coming to? And what happens when he comes? Let me just give you a minute or so. Turn to some people around you. Have a quick chat about it. If you see somebody sitting by themselves, make sure you call them into your group. Hopefully they're pretty easy questions. Where is the Son of Man coming to? And what happens? Okay, I'll give you one minute. Let's come back together. Let's think about the answers. Okay, so here's question number one. Where is the Son of Man coming to? Could you see that? Could you see that? Where's he coming to? He's coming to? He's coming to God. Did you see that? He's coming with the clouds of heaven and approaches the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is God. Okay? So the coming of the Son of Man is the coming of the Son of Man to God. All right? Uh, this is not talking about the coming of the Son of Man to earth. It's talking about the coming of the Son of Man into heaven. And then second question, what happens when the Son of Man comes into God's presence? We can see God makes him the boss. All authority, glory, and sovereign power is given to him. God declares him king. You are the king. Everyone must bow the knee to you. You will rule God's kingdom forever. Okay. That's the coming of the Son of Man. He comes to God to receive all authority. Next question. This one should be an easy one. We'll just do it together. Okay. Who is the Son of Man? Who is the Son of Man? Not a koala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's Jesus. He's been calling himself the Son of Man all through Luke's gospel, hasn't he? Calls himself the Son of Man over and the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and that kind of thing. So one final question then. When was it 
that Jesus came into the presence of God and received all authority. It's at his ascension, isn't it? That's when he comes into the presence of God in heaven. And so Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he dies on the cross for our sin, he rises again from the dead, and he ascends to heaven. Now, as Christians, I think we really underestimate the significance of the ascension, but in Jesus' mind, it was critical, and in Luke's mind, it was critical. Let me show you. Firstly, immediately preceding this passage, remember Jesus gets challenged by the teachers of the law and challenged by the priests and all this, and then he gives them one challenge. Remember what the challenge was? It was immediately before, we just read it earlier, he says, what do you make of Psalm 110? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's about the ascension. Or if you think about it, you know this whole trip to Jerusalem that we've been on since chapter 9, verse 51. Chapter 9, verse 51, it started with these words. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It's the ascension in mind from the beginning. You want to know how Luke ends? Here it comes. This is the very ending of Luke. So the risen Jesus, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. The ascension of Jesus is vital because it's at that point that the Son of Man comes into the presence of God, is seated at God's right hand, all authority in heaven and earth is given to him, so that now everyone will have to worship him and all his enemies will be defeated. And for the Jerusalem that has rejected Jesus, for the Jerusalem that kills Jesus, there is the big sign that their destruction is imminent. The Son of Man has, is seated at the right hand of God. All his enemies will be made his footstool, God says. And so Jerusalem's fate is sealed. The temple will be destroyed. There's the big sign. Okay, with that background in mind, let's have another look at Luke chapter 21. Uh, Jesus, first of all, talks about all kinds of signs, earthquakes, heavenly signs, people being scared. It's apocalyptic language. It's Old Testament language describing God's judgment. Hard to tell exactly what it's referring to. My guess is that it's probably talking about the things that happened at the cross. You know, the earthquakes and the tombs opening and the darkness and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Jesus then talks about the coming of the Son of Man. The ascended Jesus comes into God's presence and Jesus says, when it happens... Get ready. Because like deciduous trees getting their flowers shows that summer's about to come. When Jesus rises to the right hand of God, it signals the end for the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 25. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man. This is talking about heaven now. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And then the final thing that Jesus says is that it's all going to happen within one generation. Some of the disciples will live to see this for themselves. The temple will be destroyed in their lifetime. And so Jesus says, be ready. 
Be ready to stand before the all-powerful Son of Man as his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 32. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole, I think it should be translated, land, on the whole land. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, I know that uh, it's been a tough week in Bible study for people. There's been a fair bit of confusion and debate about this passage. Um, and I think, uh, I think perhaps many people started the week thinking this is talking about the return of Jesus, the final return of Jesus. I don't think that can be right. Three reasons. First, the question that Jesus an- is answering here is about the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Second, the coming of the Son of Man in Daniel is a coming to God, not a coming to earth. And then thirdly, and this is the knockdown argument, Jesus says it will all happen within one generation. That's true of the ascension, the coming of the Son of Man. It's not true of Jesus' final return. All right. Can you see what's here then in Luke chapter 21? The disciples comment on the temple. Jesus says, it's going to be destroyed. They go, when? How? How will we know? Jesus says, well, there are lots of non-signs. People will claim to be Messiah. There'll be wars, there'll be famines, etc., etc. Jesus' disciples will be persecuted. None of those things are signs, but there are two things to look out for. When Jerusalem is besieged, run away. And the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus will die, rise again, ascend to the right hand of God. He'll be declared king of the universe, and that means... Everyone who rejects him, all of his enemies, their fate is certain. They will be Jesus' footstool. And so that is the sign that Jerusalem and its temple must be destroyed. And so Jesus says, be ready. Be ready to stand before the exalted Son of Man. Friends, you know what? Everything that Jesus said here in Luke chapter 21 came true in history. It all happened, exactly as Jesus said. There were people pretending to be Messiah. There were wars and famines and diseases. The disciples were persecuted. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. It all happened. And the Son of Man did come into his glory. God did not leave Jesus dead. He raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand. God gave Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. And then Jerusalem was besieged. 70 AD, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. They slaughtered more than one million Jews and they took another 100,000 into captivity and they utterly destroyed the temple. Not one stone left on another. It all happened exactly as Jesus said and exactly as Jesus said, it all happened within one generation, 70 AD. Okay. Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Uh, two things to say. Uh, firstly, what it means for Israel and Judaism. And secondly, what it means for you and me. For Judaism and for you and me. Friends, as I said at the start, it is hard to overestimate the importance of the temple for biblical Judaism. 
And similarly, it's hard to overestimate the importance of the destruction of the temple. Let me put it as clearly as I can. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD is the end of biblical Judaism. It is the end of people being able to be saved by being Jewish through the Old Covenant. It's possible before 70 AD, certainly before Jesus comes, for a Jew to be saved by being Jewish. If they follow the Old Testament law, if they go to the temple, if they get the priest to offer sacrifices. But that's completely finished in 70 AD because now there is no temple. There are no priests. There are no sacrifices. And both the Old Testament and New Testament are clear about this. Without these things, there is no forgiveness. Some of you may know that my own background is, is Jewish. And people, a lot of people say to me, oh, you're Jewish, you must know all about the Old Testament. I don't know anything about the Old Testament. Because the vast majority of the Old Testament cannot be done without a temple. Uh, modern Judaism is a completely new invention. It's called Rabbinic Judaism now. And it is, has almost nothing to do with the Old Testament. It's all the Halakha and the Mishnah and all that kind of stuff. Uh, modern Judaism is a new religion invented post-70 AD for people who don't have a temple and sacrifices and priests and all the things that you need in the Old Testament. But friends, as far as the New Testament is concerned, what that means is this. Jews need Jesus. The New Testament, in fact, is stronger than that. The New Testament says Jesus is especially for the Jews. Romans 1, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Jews need Jesus. And they need you and me to tell them. They won't like it. Certainly my family don't like it. But they need you to tell them about Jesus, their Messiah. Also, it's vital that we support mission to the Jews. And our church has done that for more than 20 years now. We've supported Paul Morris, K. Chan Park, and now our missionary to the Jews is, does anyone know? Egal Vender, Egal Vender. I think he's, if we can only support one missionary, it should be Egal, because the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's application point number one, Jews need Jesus. Uh, Final application point is for us, and that's this. My friend, you need Jesus. Jesus, the Son of Man, has come into the presence of God and God has declared him to be the King. And God has said that every knee must bow to him, either as they're defeated and destroyed, like Jerusalem in 70 AD, or as they joyfully receive him as their Saviour. Friend, if Jesus is not your Saviour, he is your enemy. We've seen this over and over again in Luke's gospel. There is no neutral ground. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. And if you are against him, you will not win. You will be defeated and destroyed. Now, as I said, that's a little bit of a hard thing to say, isn't it? Um, Here we are on a baptism Sunday and we've welcomed all our visitors and now I'm telling you you're going to get smashed by Jesus. Um, Sorry about that, but it does remind me Many, many years ago, um, when I was a student at another church, um, I was asked, that the minister said to me, can you please just preach for me on Sunday? And I was writing a, 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 a paper at Bible College about uh, where 
the Jews go into the promised land and they have to kill everybody in the promised land. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll do my talk on the, the paper that I'm writing. So I stood up to talk about how the Jews had to kill everybody when they came into the promised land, and there were about 150 people there for a baptism that day. Um, a guy by the name of Graham Stewart was having his, uh, his daughter baptised, and at the end I said, oh, mate, I am so sorry that I've preached this incredibly hard passage when all your family and friends are there. But he said to me, you know what, I don't want you to apologise. Because they might not like it, but the question is, is it true or not? Friends, I'm sorry if this is offensive to you, but it's the truth. If you are not Jesus' friend, you are his enemy, and the day is coming when you will be defeated and destroyed. But friend, you don't have to be his enemy. He died and rose again so that you can be forgiven and be his friend. So please, can I encourage you, do what you've seen people do today. Put your trust in Jesus and symbolise the fact that he can wash you clean of your sin by being baptised. You need Jesus to be your saviour. We all need Jesus to be our saviour more than anything else. Friend, can I encourage you, welcome today. Please put your trust in Jesus. Well, there are lots of important buildings in the world, lots of different meanings, but there's one building that does not exist, and that's the temple in Jerusalem. And the non-existence of that building should be a warning to us and to all people. Do not have Jesus as your enemy. Submit to him, ask him to forgive you and be your king. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus, the Son of Man, is not just King, but the Saviour of all who trust in him. We thank you for the people we've seen. Trust him and be baptised today. And we pray for us all that we might put our trust in Jesus so that we won't be defeated, but will joyfully receive him when he does finally return. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.